I just, I, I, uh, I really felt when I was preparing uh, about what I should speak on uh, this week that the Lord wanted me to speak on encouraging one another and the importance of us as Christians in the church encouraging and investing in each other. Um, and, and I just think it's so important and I just think that it's something that God really wants as we go forward together as a church to become a mark or a trait of our church. That we are known for being kind of people that just love to encourage other people. And I want to tell you about a friend of mine um, who some of you will know. Um, it, it was this guy and I, I wanted, I'm going to talk mostly about a, a chap called Barnabas from the Bible. But... Um, there was this guy. Uh, how's of you knew Dave Weatherly, right? Some of you will have known Dave, right? Dave died, I think, probably, what, 10, 15 years ago? And his legacy lives on. And his legacy lives on because he was a man who had an amazing gift of love and encouragement, right? Now, uh, for those of you that know me, have known me and my family for a long time, uh, you will remember, uh, particularly when I was in my pre-teens, uh, we were not necessarily the best behaved children in the church, right? We were known for being somewhat naughty. And in fact, we were so naughty that I remember one of my good friends, this, this friend, this, uh, this story is related to me by my friend's sister. Okay, apparently I was, I, I was banned from attending that, that person's house, all right? Um, who happens to be here this morning, totally un unrelated. Apparently, your mum banned me, John, from coming to your house because I was so naughty and made such a mess and disrupted things. John and I are still friends 30 years later, so it's fine, all right? Um, but uh, but it, we were so bad, right, that we were difficult and we were hard work, right? And, and we were just naughty and we'd make a mess and all the rest of it. And then there was this guy, Dave, right? And this guy, Dave, would come round to our house, right? And he would make us feel like we were the most special family and the most special children that he had ever met. And he was just amazing. And I thought that we were really special until as I got older, I realised that everybody else felt exactly the same way. All right, and Pat had a very similar experience. I'm sure John had a very similar experience as we grew up with Dave as a kind of an older guy in the church. And he was never married, didn't have children, and he used to come around the house. You know what he used to bring me? Do you remember what he used to bring us, Mark? Snickers. Snickers. Right? I was a Mars bar, right? Okay. And he used to always come with a bar of chocolate. And at the point when we were at our worst and we were most difficult and we were naughty children in the church and our parents were literally pulling their hair out, which is why my dad doesn't have much hair anymore, okay, he would say, and he used to say, your boys are princes. Your boys are princes. And he saw what not many other people could see at that time. He saw something of the Lord in me and in my brothers at the point when we were almost just naughty and unruly and he encouraged it and he blessed it and I haven't forgotten that 15, 30 years on and I think that encouragement inspired my parents to keep pushing on that is what a Barnabas does that is the kind of people that make a difference in your life and in my life and I suppose I want us to be like Barnabas and I want to tell you about this guy Barnabas now Barnabas was a, a, a chap in the New Testament um, uh, he was an apostle in the early church 
And he was an evangelist who um, went around uh, preaching the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. And do you know what his name means? His name means son of encouragement. That's his name. It actually says it in the Bible. And what you notice is that you often can miss Barnabas, right, in amongst all the other great stories and the great miracles that happen. But Barnabas appears again and again and again in the New Testament, but often in the background. He's often mentioned alongside people or just as a couple of throwaway lines. And I want us to look this morning at these references to Barnabas and, and really looking at what it was that made Barnabas different. What was it about him that we can learn from today if we are going to hashtag be a Barnabas, right? Okay, so I'm going to start, uh, this, the scriptures are on the screen so you don't need to, but we are basically mostly going to be in uh, the book of Acts Okay, and I'm going to read a few verses from different sections because he appears in short sections repeatedly. And we're going to start by turning to Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. Uh, and so it says here, Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, so <coughs> his name wasn't even Barnabas, it was actually Joseph, but they gave him this name, Right, which means son of encouragement. Imagine being so encouraging that people just start calling you encourager. Right? That's just your name, right? Encourager. What an amazing testimony of him. And he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Uh, if Mary was here this morning, we could have enjoyed that because she's a native of Cyprus. Um, and he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, the first mention we find of Barnabas is a man who was generous. And so the heart, the first thing I want us to take away, that, that, that being a Barnabas starts with being generous, with having a generous spirit. The heart of an encourager is founded on a lavishly generous spirit. If you want to be someone that's encouraging to other people, and we all do, don't we? There's no one here that thinks I want to be a discourager, is there? Right? No one's saying I want to be a discourager. But if we want to be a real encourager, we have to have a spirit of generosity. We have to be willing to be generous all the time. You know, if you're always worried about what you're keeping, you're going to struggle to be an encourager. So we, are, you know, what we see here is that, that uh, Barnabas was generous with his money. You know, we've just had an offering, haven't we, uh, for the people in India. And I hope that we have been generous with our money. Because it doesn't really matter to us. It's not about the pounds and the pence. It's about the heart and the attitude, isn't it? It's about the generosity of spirit. If you want to be an encourager, you've got to be generous with your money. You have to be generous with your time. This is the thing I find most difficult to be generous with. right? Because in my, in my world, I have less time than everybody else. I don't know if you feel like that. Right? That my world is so busy that I have less time than everybody else. Right? We all have exactly the same amount of time. Right? But you know when you're busy and you're under pressure, you can feel so quickly like, my time is precious. My time is important. And so therefore to give time is a generous thing and we need to be people that are generous with their time. And lastly, we need to be generous with our space and with our stuff. You know, I recently read a quote by a guy called Pete Gregg. Does anyone know who Pete Gregg is? Right, he's the guy that does the 24-7 prayer. And he said this, I like this. He said, people tell me that they have the gift of hospitality. 
by which they mean they have a beautiful home in which they enjoy entertaining guests who confirm just how lovely their home is. This is not the gift of hospitality, this is the gift of a box of chocolates. And the point he's making is, is that we can think we have generosity, but really what we're doing is we're just having a nice home and having a social life, right? We need to be generous with our homes. We need to make our homes available to people. We need to make our stuff available to people, right? If you, are, you, are you someone that's happy to lend, like Dion, when we were doing Tano's project, happy to lend us his tools, right? Even though they might have got broken. You know, I, I have to say, I am, I am a real... I'm very blessed to spend time with Patrick, and I want to honour Patrick this morning as one of our uh, leaders, well, future elders really, um, that God has given Patrick this, the gift of giving and the gift of generosity, right? Last Saturday, Pat was meant to be doing something else, and he ends up helping Tano for four hours, putting back some blocks on a, on a drive. And you know, we can look at people in the church that model this. And if I want to tell you someone that models the spirit of generosity, it's Patrick. And do you know what, what, we most, what we're most of us say about Patrick? He's encouraging. He loves to encourage. Sorry, Pat, I'm blowing, big, big, and you, big and you up here. But let's honour where honour is due. Because I think that we need, if we want to be an encourager, it starts with having a generous spirit. What else do we then see? What's the second thing we see about Barnabas? The second thing is this, is he was a man of courage. He was courageous. In Acts chapter 9, the story's moved on, and we read this. When he had come to Jerusalem, this is Paul. This is talking about Paul the apostle, Paul the guy that had persecuted the church. When he had come to Jerusalem, he, Paul, attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. They were saying, Paul, we don't believe that you've really converted. The Damascus Road thing was a trick, right? You didn't really see Jesus. This is just a clever trick to get inside the church and put us all in prison. And, you know, for a man that went around killing Christians, that would be a legitimate, legitimate thought. And so all the disciples didn't want to meet Paul. But who did? Who did? Barnabas. But Barnabas. But Barnabas, when no one else was interested, Barnabas said, I'll do it. I'm not afraid. I've got a heart that wants to see what God can do in someone else. And he said, but he took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he'd seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out amongst them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. You know, if you want to be an encourager, you have to have courage. You have to be willing to take a risk on someone. You have to be willing to maybe put yourself out there. You know, what would have happened if Paul had been a, a wolf in sheep's clothing? Barnabas would have been responsible for letting Paul in amongst the, all the apostles, in amongst the leadership of the early church. Or what, and he would have looked foolish, it could have been devastating, but he had the courage to see what God was doing. He had the courage to take a chance on him. And you know, if you want to be an encourager, right, you have to be willing to take a risk on people. You know, it's very easy to encourage a safe bet, isn't it? Right? You know, if you were to come along and encourage, uh, you know, a, a, a child who is, you know, imagine what I was like at age 10, you know, and you had another child who was, who was well, he's gone now, John, right? 
Mr. Perfect Child over there, right, okay? Never did anything wrong, always kind, always good, always doing the right thing, right, okay? It's easy to encourage someone like that, oh, this child's lovely. Look at him, he's just lovely, isn't he? Yeah, all right, okay. And, uh, and, you know, it's easy to put your invest in someone that's kind and lovely and nice, but what is it if you see something in someone that's a scallywag and a bit of a difficult one? And a challenge and not easy. Are you willing to get alongside and encourage them and say, I believe you can be fantastic? Or what is it, someone who's got absolutely no talent? I remember there was a, a lad that, um, that was in our church. And, um, uh, <coughs> and in fact, I remember, that I, and he was in our church and he was a young lad and he, he could not sing to save his life, right? He really was awful. He was, he was, he was, he was even worse than Mark, right? Okay. And he couldn't play the guitar, right? And he was probably at, I don't know, must be about 11 or 12. And, my, and a friend of ours encouraged him. He said, go for it. Keep going. You can do it. You can be amazing. He turned into a full-time musician. He grew up. His voice broke, right? He turned out to be a wonderful musician. I remember sitting there thinking, why on earth are you encouraging him? He's got zero talent. You have to have courage to risk your reputation on another if you are willing to be an encourager. You know, when we started uh, MLG, um, uh, myself, John Watson, my dad, another guy called Rob, um, we made a decision essentially to start something that was a separation from the group of churches we'd been part of. That was a big deal. And we were, for a while, we were quite unpopular to be honest and we were seen as being rebellious and we were seen as being divisive and all this kind of stuff and there was a guy called Les and you guys know Les Wilden don't you he was here a few weeks ago now Les right has uh, an amazing ministry of preaching and he went and he would preach in all the different churches and he preached in our church and he preached in their church and do you know what Les did in those early days he stood up for us and he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to preach at their conference and I'm going to be part with those guys. And he was putting his own ministry at risk because they could have said, well, if you're going to associate with them, then we don't want anything to do with you. And he had the courage to believe and encourage. You know, his encouragement was so significant in helping us keep going when other people were negative about us. So if you want to be like Barnabas, if you want to be a Barnabas, you've got to have the courage to take a risk Risk it for a biscuit. You have to be willing to take a risk on people. Thirdly, what else was uh, Barnabas like? Barnabas was a talent spotter. He was good at seeing things that other people couldn't see. So in Acts chapter 11, we see Barnabas again. Uh, it says, verse, I don't know, I've put 22, yeah, 25. Uh, it said, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So we saw Paul's big entrance, didn't we? Right? In chapter 9, we just saw that. Paul comes along and says, I've been saved. And the apostles are like, we're not sure. Barnabas says, come on, he's a good guy. But then there's this period where Paul kind of disappears, basically. He goes away, and obviously in that time, he's studying, he's seeking God, but he kind of just goes into obscurity, really, right? He just goes off, and maybe they were like, great, you've been a persecutor, you know, it's good you're a Christian now, but to be honest, you go over there, right? And what does Barnabas do? Barnabas sees something of great potential in Paul. You know, we've got, basically, most of the New Testament comes from this guy, Paul. 
Barnabas is the guy that had the courage and the vision and the foresight to see all that Paul could become. And what does it say he does here? Paul went to look for him. Paul went and looked for him. He said, where's this guy, Saul, who becomes Paul? Where is he? I think he's got something that we need to use in the church. I'm going to go and find him. And you know, if you want to be an encourager, if you want to be a Barnabas, we have to have eyes to see what is not immediately obvious. You have to see the potential in others. You know, if all you see is what you see today, then you're, you're not going to get much more out of people. We have to have the vision as an encourager to see what is not there yet. Maybe just the spark of something or the tiny green shoot of something that God wants to do in someone else's life. And God may use you or me to help grow and encourage that thing until it becomes something. Has anyone ever seen uh, the film Begin Again? It's, uh, it's my kind of film. It's got Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley. Right, and she's a down and out kind of, or she's a kind of broken hearted musician. He's a down and out music producer, right? And I would have shown you the video clip, but it was three minutes long and it just seemed like a waste of time. But he's sitting in this bar and he suddenly hears her playing in a kind of an open mic night type thing. And everyone else, like you, you know, the, the pub crowd is sat there and they're not really listening, they're talking to each other and she's playing. And at the end of it, she feels really disappointed because no one really listened to her music. And then later on in the film, you see the same scene again, but from his point of view. And from his point of view, he sits there and he starts to hear it. And what you see is suddenly all around, these instruments start appearing and he can hear what she's playing with all this stuff in the background. And it takes it from one woman on a guitar kind of strumming away to this amazing piece of music. He had the vision to see what her potential was. And the story is really about him encouraging her in that potential and them creating a record. Great film if you want to watch it. It's a really uh, kind of one of those kind of sort of... uh, you know, nice films to make you feel good. But you see, he had this vision to see what was not there. If you want to be a Barnabas, you have to see what is not there yet. If you're waiting just to encourage someone that's already fantastic, that's brilliant. But real encouragers, real Barnabases, encourage what's not there yet. So that's the, the third thing. You've got to be willing to see the talent. The third is this. As a Barnabas, you have to be willing to let others take the spotlight. So we've seen the story of of Barnabas. He comes, he brings Paul in, he then goes and finds Paul after a number of years and starts to do ministry with him. And what happens is Barnabas is this great apostle. He's the great man, but sooner or later you're with someone like Paul. Paul becomes greater and you start to find that people are more interested in listening to Paul than they are into Barnabas. It said, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Paul was now the guy, the front man. And Barnabas was slowly fading into the background. And I think we get a glimpse here of what their partnership looked like, yeah? Right? Barnabas is the older, wiser man, but Paul is the, the one with the dynamic, amazing force. Right? He's the young leader. And so what Barnabas starts to do is rather than saying, no, no, Paul, you, you sit in the background. I'm the old guy. I'm the experienced apostle. I've been around a long time. He says to Paul, Paul, I see what God's doing here. You go speak. I'll sit in the background. I'll help you, Paul. You're the man. 
That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That heart of an encourager that says, as time goes on, I'm willing to sit down and be in the background. That's what it's like to be a Barnabas. You know, when we started the cafe in Eltham, um, and uh, Angela, who's not here this morning, so she's going to get a compliment, so it's her fault for not being here this morning. But the, when we started the cafe in Elton, we started um, this cafe inside a church, and I was responsible for setting it up, and I was the one that kind of uh, helped to really lead the church in the vision alongside John, but particularly that time, it was my responsibility. Um, and I kind of came in, and we kind of helped to build it, got the church into it, and then we appointed a couple of managers, one of which was Angela, who was particularly gifted, and so Angela began to get more and more involved. And over time, people began to look more and more to Angela as being the wonderful cafe manager and the really dynamic one. And I remember thinking to myself at one point, wait, hang on a second, like, what about me? And then I realised, it's not about me. It's about her. It's about releasing her into what God wants for her to do. And you know, I think that's what being a Barnabas is about. And she did an amazing job. And if you want to be a Barnabas, you've got to be prepared to get out of the spotlight and let someone else sit in it. That's a, that's a difficult thing to do. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Right? Until you're the one that everyone overlooks. Right? But Barnabas was prepared. Anyone know who these three guys are? <coughs> so Billy Graham is the one in the middle. Do you anyone know who the other two are? No? So the guy on the right is a chap called George Beverly Shea, who was in his own right an absolutely amazing musician and a brilliant songwriter. And the guy on the left was a guy called Cliff Barrows, or Burrows. Right, is that right? Yeah? Um, you were around then, David. Uh, <laughs> and do you know what? These guys were in their own right. He was a brilliant preacher, Cliff Barrows. Brilliant. And... Uh, George Beverly Shea was a brilliant musician in his own right. But do you know what they did? They invested their entire lives in serving Billy Graham. And you know, here's a picture of them when they're basically in their 90s. Do you know, they stuck together. We were talking about this the other day. They stuck together for 50 plus years, serving one another, choosing to sit, these two choosing to sit in the background of the one who the Lord had anointed to do that job. They were Barnabases. And he said, I could not have done it without these men that have carried me all of these years. And supported me and backed me. You know, that's what it means to be a Barnabas. It means to be an encourager who steps out of the spotlight and says, I believe God is doing something in your life and I'm prepared to invest and get behind it. And what's the last thing we see about Barnabas? He's this. He's a second chance guy. In chapter 15, uh, Paul, uh, uh, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take uh, <coughs> with them one who had withdrawn from them in, in Pamphylia, I can't say that, right? Uh, <coughs> and had not gone with them to the work. So there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord." You know, this is one of my favourite, favourite stories in the Bible, right? Because Paul, this great theologian, this great missionary, right, lost patience with one of his protégés. John Mark was one of his junior guys that he was training up. But what do we find out about John Mark? John Mark had been a bit of a wetty. He chickened out, right? He let them down. 
it said, Paul says, best not take someone who's already left in the past. Why are we going to take someone with us again who last time we took him went home? Because he was too tired or he was too afraid or he couldn't hope. I'm not going to take someone. I can't carry dead wood on my missions. You can imagine Paul, right? I'm not interested. I've given him one chance. He let me down. I'm not doing it again. But who had a different view? Barnabas. Barnabas saw it completely differently. And he was willing to stand up. Talk about courage again. He had the courage to stand up to the mighty Paul. Imagine trying to argue with Paul. It must have been a difficult thing to argue with Paul. And he was willing to stand up. He was so willing to invest in someone and believe what they could be that he was willing to break with probably what was one of his best friends. Because he saw what God was doing and he knew that Paul was wrong. Right? In his attitude, in his heart. And you could say, okay, well, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Right? But you know what it says? Years later, when Paul is at the end of his life, right, we hear that he talks in Philemon chapter 124. Who does he call a fellow worker? John Mark. John Mark's life gets turned around by someone that was willing to take a chance on him. And he says, and Paul sends a request to Timothy from a Roman prison, get who? Get who and bring him with you. Get John Mark and bring him to me. Why? Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. It's incredible, isn't it? He says, this guy that I'm not having anything more to do with, because of Barnabas, became one of Paul's greatest supporters. And Paul needed him at the end. When Paul was in his absolute... At the end of his life, when he's fed up and he's in a prison and he's, he's, adding, you know, he's, he's at breaking point, who does he need? He needs John Mark. This guy that when he was young, he'd almost given up on. And because of Barnabas, his life was made restored. That's the heart of a Barnabas, to take a second chance on someone that other people have written off. I just think it's a beautiful story, don't you? A beautiful story of redemption, of someone willing to be an encourager and take someone that everyone else has written off and say, do you know what? I think you've still got something. And I'm going to take a chance on you. So I'm getting a bit emotional this morning. Because I love the heart of an encourager. Because I think the church is made by encouragers. You know, people look at people like me that can stand on a stage and can say some words. My life has been held up and propped up by people that have encouraged me consistently since I was a young man. You know, you could say, oh Tim, you know... The honour and the glory goes to those that encourage and those that get behind and support and do work for others. And that is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I don't know about you. That's the kind of movement that I want to be a part of. People that say I'm going to get behind and take chances. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're a parent, you know, um, because I, for all of his failings, you know, my dad has been my greatest encourager, really, my chief supporter, particularly when I was young. Obviously, that's Helen uh, now. But, like, when I was 18 years old, uh, he encouraged me to start leading the youth work in our small church. And I remember having this kind of crazy idea, and I can't remember if it's his idea or my idea, but it ended up being my idea, uh, that we should reach the community with doing a free gardening service um, to local residents. So I set about said about it, I advertised it, and unsurprisingly, when you offer free gardening, right, we got a good response. Um, and uh, we visited every, uh, and we did, we visited every house to review the work, the whole church got involved, there were loads of people that were involved in it, and in one week we had five teams and we did 50 gardens, 50 gardens in one week. 
Um, it was amazing because no one got injured and there was a lot of power tools. Um, you know, and uh, a number of us were, who was it? Hannah, you were involved, weren't you? Mark, you were there. Okay, Patrick, John was involved. Uh, Peter, yeah. Tony, were you involved in that? Were you that far back? Hey, eh? I'm not sure you were then. Yeah, all right. But so here's, here's some photos of that. Look, there's Pat. Look, see, there's Pat. Pat you look a bit skinnier then, Pat. Yeah. Uh, there's Richard, John's brother. Richard there was involved. Colin, oh, Jackie and uh, Jenny on here. There's Colin there. Um, Fred was there, absolutely. Fred was part of it. There's Mark. You see Mark? This is Mark here. Okay, there's Pat again, telling everyone what to do. Um, encouraging. Yeah. Uh, Steve DeVille, a guy called Craig, if anyone remembers Craig. Yeah. All right. And, you know, we had this, this team of people that did it, right? But who was the one, right, that encouraged me to do it and helped me and helped me basic? He did it, really. I think, really, looking back at it. And I basically, um, you know, took, took most of the praise and the glory. Yeah. Right. But it's my dad. And I want to tell you, if you are a father of children, you need to encourage your kids. Because in your children, you know, you could talk about encouraging lots of other people in the church, but you've got potentially two, three, maybe just one child. And what you can pour into that child is just immense. And you can encourage that and encourage that. You know, and I'm here, I think, because I had a father that was willing to encourage me and take a risk on me and saw, right, the potential in me when no one else did. And you know, sometimes we set expectations, and I know, I know what I'm like as a, as a parent, we can be so often tempted to think, oh, well, you could have done that better. You could have done that better. You could have done that better. Can't we? I don't know if it's just me, but I know I have high standards of my kids. I want them to be fantastic. I want them to be all that God's made them to be. And so sometimes my approach can be like, oh. But you know, I'm learning as a father that the best thing I can do is just go, Joe, you're brilliant. Fantastic. Keep going. You're amazing. Right? And not focus on the negative, but focus on the positive. Is your attitude as a parent, or oh, they could do better? Or do you know what? I'm just so thrilled. You know, when, when you're ch- and it, it changes weirdly, because when your three-year-old brings you a painting from nursery, right? And let's be honest, when they say painting, it's really just paint on a piece of paper. You say, isn't this wonderful? And you stick it on the, on the fridge. It's absolutely rubbish, isn't it? Right? No one's going to pay for that. Right? When your nephew brings you some present, you're not looking at Henry's, you know, you're not, you know, going, wow, this is, I can sell this for hundreds. Yeah? Right? But somehow, when our kids get older, we start to put more pressure on them and we start to sort of say, oh, well, maybe that painting's not good enough or this. And I just want to say that we should have an attitude, and I know it's a weakness in me to sometimes be more critical than I need to be. But just that heart of encouragement because we see it in Jesus, don't we? We see it in Jesus. You know, the Bible says, but God shows his love for us that in while we were what? Still sinners. While you and I were still a mess, Jesus saw all that we could be. And he was willing to die for us, that he could have us as his son. And it says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when what? We were dead. Even when we were absolutely, we'd made a total mess of it, we were dead. We were never ever going to get out. We failed miserably. And that was the point when Jesus Christ loved us. That is the heart. You want to know who Barnabas is really? Who's Barnabas really? It's Jesus. He's Jesus, really. And so I want us to live out 
Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 which says therefore encourage one another and build one another up. Amen. And so I want to challenge you this week. I want a, a simple challenge. It's just very simple. Will you encourage somebody this week? Will you encourage someone this week? Will you compliment someone this week, even if what they've done isn't really very good? Joel, you're fantastic, right? <laughs> but even if what you've done isn't brilliant, or that person's done it, will you encourage them? Will you say, Do you know, I thought well, the way you did that was just brilliant. Will we focus on the goodness and the positiveness that we see in people, rather than whether or not they've got it 100% right? Will we consistently, and if we start, and I want to change this, one this week, two next week, three the week after, four the week after that. You know, I, I'm a great believer in the, in the power of habits. You do what you habitually are. Absolutely true. Yeah? Right, if you're overweight, it's probably because you have a habit of eating too many chocolate biscuits. If you want to be a Barnabas, you have to be a habitual encourager. You have to, every opportunity, I'm not sure if I should encourage, I'm going to encourage anyway. And if you keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it, you'll become someone that just loves to encourage another. If you're a teacher in a school, how can you encourage? If you're a grandparent, how can you encourage? If you're a student and your friends are studying, how can you encourage? If you're in the workplace and you're a boss, how can you encourage? If you're a co-worker who sat there picking up a piece of work that you know you're going to have to rework, how can you be an encourager in the church? How can we encourage one another? And let's not forget those that are abroad. How can we encourage those that are not in this church but are living abroad? How can we encourage those that are missionaries? Can we send them a letter? Can we just send them a text message? Can we send them an anonymous gift? Let's pray.